Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the newest episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Santo, joined, as always, by the Dale Dent to my Saul Silver. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? Hands down, dopest podcast I ever smoked. All right, and our very own Red. That's right. He's more aerodynamic when he fights. It's Eric Ronnebeck. Eric, how you doing? You can see through me, huh? You can see through my intentions. What I had for dinner last night. Cake. That's what you're supposed to say. Uh, you see cake, and then I go, I gotta use the telephone. <laughs> what about the, uh, is that when he goes, uh, the cake? I'm making my cat a birthday cake. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry about your cat, man. I'll use a real asshole. Well, I don't know. <laughs> you're not sure your cat's in heaven, bro. I don't know. Might be in hell. He's a little asshole. <laughs> okay. Uh, see, we're, we're off topic already because we don't want to talk about Seahawks Buccaneers, I think. I think Actually, that, I'm pretty excited to talk about this game. I am, I am not because. This was like the least fun I've had watching a Seahawks defense <laughs> in so long, but our offense is so good. And let me tell you something. When you, I said in the group chat, I'm personally insulted that the Seahawks minus four and a half is the line. And then the Seahawks line up to that. kick a field goal to win the game. And I'm like, oh no, I'm not going to cover this. This sucks. Oh well, well, I mean, I'll lose 50 bucks, but at least uh, the Seahawks will win. Then he missed the field goal, and I was like, back in business, baby. Touchdown time. Let's go. <laughs> then Geno Smith comes out onto the field, and he's, like, staring daggers into into the heart. He, uh, he can see right through him. He pulled a Matt Flynn. Yeah, and then he 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 caused them to lose the coin toss and, in, in effect, lose the game. Because and we took the ball, and we were going to score. Yeah, yep. well, our offense is hard to stop. Russell Wilson is, is on fire. Can we please start on offense? Because I think we can agree, first of all, that no matter what, whichever team got the coin toss was going to win. Because we so couldn't sure. do a damn thing to stop uh, friggin' their wide receivers. Jameis Winston. But really quickly. What about Jameis Winston's air fumble? This is the best uh, play dude, of the game, dude. He, that was so Jameis. I mean, Jameis Winston has tiny hands, like really small hands for an NFL quarterback. And like it was never on display more why you need to have large hands to be an NFL quarterback than when he like t- had a ghost strip sack for Paul G. Allen. Like, He's the only person <laughs> who could have a montage of those plays, though, in his career. He has so many of those. So can I tell you something that's going to make you feel slightly better? Or maybe maybe slightly worse? Maybe. So there's this odd sequence to start the game before we get into offense. So uh, Tampa opens with a touchdown. We respond with a nice little uh, quick touchdown drive with the toss to lock it in the corner. And then there's on third and 11, the fluke deflection when Blair can't quite come up with the interception and it deflects straight to Perriman. That was their touchdown there on third and 11. Yeah. So that could easily have been a field goal or a missed field goal. So that's a bit of a fluke. Then we have on the responding drive, Metcalf only gets one foot down, doesn't drag the back foot on the third down completion or should have been completion. And then Myers misses the field goal. When, what about, so that's 21-7 Tampa also Bay. The, the Bobby Wagner like inexplicable penalty to extend the, the first drive of the game. Like yeah. That, that, felt like that was but I mean, tack, but also so that, stupid. It's, it's his fault. I mean, he knew, he knew as soon as he did it, he was like, dang it. What, yeah. what did I do? So then they have the touchdown to Hollister after the long defensive pass interference. But then it's uh, 21-13 at halftime because we also missed the extra point. It could have easily been 21-17 Seattle or, worst case, like 17-17. Do you ever think after a 40-point Seahawks game within the Pete Carroll era, you'd be thinking, like, man, we kind of left, like, 15 points on the field, too. Yeah. Our kicker left set left seven points alone. 
Yeah, it's it's this crazy. This is not good. It's crazy. Jason Myers is a problem. I agree. And, and one last good thing we spent. Uh, we ponied up the we backed up the money truck. Ponied up for a, an an all pro kicker because it's really working out for us. Yeah, it's money well spent. In the That's Patreon what good franchises do. In the Patreon thread, I wrote. I recall someone on the podcast vehemently defending Jason Myers, and that was me. All season, all season, I've been like, he hasn't been in a position to score. He's been in like the wind and rain. He's been like a 60-yard field goal. You need to put him in a position to actually succeed. And he had that in deuces two, this weekend. Two 40 to 49-yarders missed. Like, that's just Plus that Plus an extra the, point. The game winning was that so close. That would have also been the difference. So close. Though he wouldn't have gone for two, but still. Uh, he's officially the Bobby Ayala of kickers. Okay, so let's talk Let's talk a little Seahawks offense. Seahawks played uh, 17 snaps with Hollister and Luke Wilson on the field, and I think, and then almost every one tight end snap in this game was, was a Hollister snap and not a Wilson snap. And I think the Seahawks have realized what we knew already, which is that Luke Wilson is a good pass catcher, but maybe not the best blocker, although they did have him block on 12 of his 17 snaps. But they that he's he's an, a competent pass catcher and Hollister is not a great blocker, slightly better, but also had a really good game catching the ball. Kind of a, a coming out party for J, for Jacob Hollister. So four catches, thirty seven yards, two touchdowns, and those count as first downs. So three first downs. Uh, just a, a real nice, like super solid tight end performance. Plus a long defensive pass interference penalty. This. This guy is the. I think this guy is a part of the future right here, Hollister. We we kind of snuck him onto the practice squad, and it's good that no teams picked him up because this is a player who maybe is going to be in the uniform for like quite a, quite a long time. Did you guys think this was a one game kind of blow up, or is this a sign of things to come? No, I really liked Hollister in the preseason. I'm glad that we he stuck on this team. Remember, we were talking about we're going to keep Hollister. We're going to get rid of these guys. They kept all the other guys and somehow snuck Hollister onto the practice squad. I think people, teams are hesitant when the hoodie cuts a player. Like, they're like, oh, well, Bill Belichick doesn't want him. I don't want him. And cut him, right? We traded for him. Yeah, but he was going to be cut. Basically, like one of those fake trades, right? Like, we'll give you a conditional seventh. Yeah, and by the fact that when we let him go, no one wanted him. And he had a pretty good preseason. I don't really know where uh, that all-star receiver, uh, Jazz Ferguson, is at right now. But uh, <laughs> Jacob Hollister is a guy that I'm really glad is on this team. And uh, no offense to Luke Wilson. You got your press conference when you returned to the city. You're a fine number two uh, masonry hands, Luke Wilson. Let's get it done. Yeah, in the preseason this season, Hollister had 19 catches on 26 targets, two touchdowns, 11 first downs. Like Eric said, a really solid preseason. Kind of flashed, especially in the last two games. But those twenty six we targets are not all Russell Wilson. We were kind of thick with tight ends, right? We had Vanette, we had Disley, Disley. We had Dixon. Dixon had, was theoretically going to start the season healthy. We had we have all these guys, and so Hollister just kind of ended up as kind of a, we had to choose between we want to keep an extra tight end or do we want to keep an extra wide receiver? Malik Turner made the roster. Hollister didn't, maybe because special teams considerations. I would guess that's a big part of it, uh, and then. And then now, you know, opportunity has arisen for him, and he's really, really stepped up big time. I'm excited for the Jacob Hollister. But did you guys know between Jacob Hollister, DK Metcalf, and Tyler Lockett that that's 23 of the 29 total receptions that we had in the Ooh, game? Ooh, I, yeah, I have a those three guys. I have a little bullet point about that, Nathan. Yeah, they're not not many other people did anything in this game. JB basically invisible, uh, and by that I mean like what? How many snaps did he play? Jared Brown played 17 snaps, ran 11 routes, got zero targets. Uh, David Moore played 
a staggering 40 snaps and got only four targets, uh, caught two of them. Just not not an exciting performance from David Moore. And really, I think, who who do you think's on the block there? JB is on the block probably for for when we guys start coming back healthy. So what'd you have to say, Eric? Um, you know what? I think I might save this because uh, I think it might be more in line with the preview. But I do have bullet points of reading between the lines and what Ooh. Pete Carroll is going to yeah, do. Save it. Save it for the San Francisco yeah. preview. I think that's because it's it does it does loop back to this. But if I start here, we're going to be going to different parts. I'll I'll say this, uh, Kevin. I really want to know who you think is going to be cut when people come back. My quick vote: David Moore. David Moore. I, who do you think is is kind of feeling the heat? Because we have a lot of wide receivers on our roster right now, and when everyone's healthy, one of those guys is probably it's probably the position that's taking the cut, right? When guys start getting getting right, when Ed Dixon comes back or whatever. At this point, I don't think you can cut Hollister, and Wilson has at least proven to be an important locker room guy. I think he's brought a lot. Of, like they love him. It'd also, some, when you run this many two tight end sets, you want to keep three in case someone gets dinged up in the middle mm-hmm. of a game. You, so you, that's kind of an important thing on the George Fant running 10 routes is probably not the world we want to live <laughs> not in. Not ideal, especially when we keep needing to put him in a tackle because our tackles yeah. are also dinged up. This is this is our life, gentlemen. Um, I'm going to have to say that it's going to come from the wide receiver room. I think we can agree on that. And, I mean, obviously, if I had my choices, it would be our fullback. But, oh, yeah, Ballor, yeah. But, I mean, we're not cutting Ballor because, you know, he's just really important for veteraniness and for chemistry or whatever. So, I think it's going to be John Ursua. I agree. Oh, It just no. seems like the most likely thing because he seems like the easiest player to slip onto the practice squad. It's either Ursua or probably Malik Turner. If you look, there's something interesting about how we use uh, JB. The interesting thing about JB is that he is a really, really good blocking receiver. And we keep putting him in the slot on plays where, if you notice, we're doing like kickback blocks with our wide receiver or uh, having him block for some of these screen plays. And so he offers some flexibility that's a little different than what we're seeing out of a guy like Malik Turner or David Moore. So I think JB spots a little bit more secure. If I had to guess, it's down to more Turner or Sua. And Ursua seems like the easiest one to keep on the roster with uh, by putting on the practice squad. Yeah, and I mean, we, we already, you know, had Jennings this season and lost him. And I just think this team doesn't really want to keep seven wide receivers if they can help it. I could also see, like, Travis Homer being uh, someone who's in trouble just because he doesn't hardly play. You know, he, he plays some special te- number of special team snaps, but it's, it's not like he's out there, uh, you know, on... On every single play. Last game, Homer had 13 special team snaps of a possible 22. So he's not even playing all of the special team snap. He play he plays only the kick coverage ones. Man, if we cut Nick Ballor though, I'd be so happy. Yeah, well, uh, we all would. Um, Ballor plays the most special team snaps out of everyone. I think he's like super secure. Oh in his man, I could not tell you how little I care. You know, it makes sense. It's that not we, it's not whether you not you care. Though. I know. <laughs> Pete, Pete Carroll cares. That it matters. makes sense. That you we, know what? Can we just blame it? And he's on, been a solid special team. Can we blame it on Brian Schneider then? He's he's because I really want another reason to hate Brian Schneider. He's not a bad special teamer so far this season. His special teams grade is seventy point six. You know, he's neat. Like, that's like competent. He's gotten how many special team cycles do you think he has? Uh. Several more than I care about. Four, but how many missed tackles do you think? Especially these missed tackles, do you think he has? Two, three. There you go. Okay. All right, that's that's, that's not the that's coordinator I want to get rid of. Though. Like the, the first, Quan the first Alexander guy Alexander of coverage. Quan Alexander out for season. Um, okay, 
Any other let's off any other wide receiver thoughts before we move to the uh, the rest of the old offense? It makes sense with Ursua, but I I desperately think that he plays. Uh, I want him to play a part in our future. Okay, so he we're seems gonna talk- like he seems like new Doug. He you know, does, but he, at the same time, we've never he, seen him play a real game. He's also really old for a rookie, and if he's not going to show out this year, it's probably, it's just not not ever going to happen. Isn't he twenty four already? I just feel like he's got to he's got to show something this year, or it's going to be get to the end of the line pretty quick. I don't know about that. Uh, that type of skill set is one that I think you're allowed it, to be a little older. Age with. is age is pretty graceful. Yeah. What I would have to say is, first of all, DK showed the full range of DK. Like, he had a downfield pass that he caught and just broke away from the corner for a long touchdown. Um, the one that should have put us up uh, when we scored with about four minutes left in the fourth quarter. Um, 123 yards, six of nine. He had the play where he forgot to drag his foot. He had another one where it was probably a bit of a drop. But then his highs were really high. Four first downs on six catches, plus the touchdown. So any, I thought it was any, nice to see his full productivity. Dude, he totally punked a guy. Yeah, he made it. He t- he took. Um, he shook a couple of dudes. Too. I would say that he took that guy's soul, though. Like yeah. that was like that was like <laughs> they, that goes in the box score as an avoided tackle on Pro Football Focus. But they should have another category next to that that's like souls taken for like really bad like stiff arms and avoided tackles, and that one should go in that box. Yeah, dude, he's got a really good baby should stiff arm. Fight. Find a different stat box to put that that where you just he sunned that guy. That is what like, it's uh it should be that like, guy's that guy's dad is now DK Metcalf. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> it's like insane. That that's that right. Happened. He's he's gonna come out with a jersey next week that says DK Metcalf senior. senior. And then that guy, other guy's gonna wear a Metcalf Junior jersey. It's, that's exactly it's wild. it. Um, uh, so Tyler Lockett obviously thirteen receptions, one hundred fifty yards, just like an insane efficiency day. Ten first downs. He had a, the rare Tyler Lockett drop. But, Tyler Lockett's stupidly good at football. Yeah, he's just really good. He is the most underrated receiver in. All of the NFL, and I'm going to say it right now. I think people are catching up, man. I, I think that they are, but because point, he's Tyler not six one, he's top. still not getting as much talk. I think people now think of starting to think of Tyler Lockett as a top ten guy, which is about where I would put him. Yep. If you were, if you're on the bottom end of the top ten by position, if you start to look at some advanced wide receiver stats, he's not Julio or like New Hopkins. He doesn't have quite that same physical ability, but he is right there in productivity and just. The ability to play football really well, and he's fast as hell. He's tenth right now in the league in yards per route run. Um, you know, he's behind guys like Cooper, Hill, Thomas, Cup, Evans, Adams, Julio. Those are the guys that I would say are like uh, clearly ahead of him. And then, the, and then he's like in this group with these other guys, like uh, like a uh, Cortland Sutton and Adam Thielen, a Chris uh, Chris Godwin. Um, the very very good wide receivers, Stephon Diggs, guys that are very good but aren't quite that like tippy top tier. I think Tyler's at the top of tier two. He's the very tippy top of the tier two of wide receivers. I'd argue that he's bottom of tier one. I and would... I think it matters in this instance because speed and elusiveness play like height used to play in the NFL. I mean, but like, would you rather have Tyreek Hill? Ty- I mean, I just think Cooper, Hill, Thomas, Evans, Adams, Julio. That's like a another another stratosphere. I'd I think. put him up with Cooper. I here's the thing about that Nathan. If I you love name Cooper. name all those <laughs> so guys good. though, it's been so good this I year. would I would with Kevin I'd put I'd put Lockett up with Cooper. The other guys you mentioned though are all players that you draft number one in your fantasy team because they're going to catch it and run thirty yards. Meaning you can have a a a quarterback that is going to be rated very high, but really he's just dumping it off to a superstar. Tyler Lockett isn't that guy. 
Russ needs to find him. And when he gets an open field 15, 20 yards down, it's going to be murder on the other team. But that's why he's probably not number one. But in our offense, and outside of, you know, a second-year Des Bryant or Julio Jones or, like, a big name, a uh, Michael Irvin, uh, you're looking at the next best thing and a, a player that matches perfectly in our offense and how I lock it. Um, all right, so then... Let's do well, wait, I want to stand on my corner real quick. For Tyler Lockett? Uh, and the corner that I'm standing on is, with the addition of Flash Gordon, we're talking about the best receiving core in the NFL. Mm-hmm. I'll touch back on that in the preview. Right, no, we're, no, we're going we're gonna right, to talk about it now. Do you want my comp on this one? Uh, Tyler Lockett is Reggie Wayne. Okay. Uh, He does everything at a really, really high level. He's ridiculously productive, and he just finds a step, period. Dude just always finds a step. Doesn't matter. I I think we have, like, a very good wide receiver core. I'm not going to, like, I don't want to shit on our wide receivers, but I think there's several that are are right there. Or I mean, now that Atlanta was the clear number one until they traded Mohamed Sanu. Right. And I think that that trade brings them back down to in the mix with a bunch of other receiving cores. But Dallas's wide receiver core is really good. Uh, dude, I would take Kansas I would take Cities. Flash Gordon over Gallup. You take Josh Gordon over Michael Gallup right now? Yep. I uh, mean, I I might have to find someone else to do this. <laughs> what? <laughs> Michael Gallup is ninth in the league in yards per route run right now, and is is like been uniformly excellent in in every game. Michael Gallup is, yes, he's been hurt a little bit. He's only played six of the nine games. But, like, when he's healthy, he has been really, really good. And and I think, like, a lot of people are blowing smoke up Dak Prescott's ass right now because he's, like, the number one rated, number two rated. Right? He's his Most of his peripheral stats and advanced stats, look, he's right behind Russ in basically everything or right ahead of him in some of the other mm-hmm. things. And I think it's not mostly because of Dak Prescott, though. I think it's because of those two guys have been playing kind of out of their mind this year. And and I'm not. I think. I think Amari Josh, Cooper helps Josh him Go- out a lot. Josh Gordon hasn't been not I great this year. I think the offense year. helps him out a lot. I think that you know, Josh Gordon has not the opportunity to be great this year. You just you don't want a guy just walk away like that when you don't. They don't have like great wide receivers. That's because Bill Belichick doesn't like weed. No, the hoodie, the hoodie, <laughs> and the hoodie Flash Gordon dude. loves weed. I mean. I like Josh Gordon, and I don't know. I'm not sure how good he'll be this year. I'm unsure. The big thing with me, the combination of him plus DK as our third best receiver, the way it slots in, because, I mean, who's the third best receiver on Dallas? The third best receiver on Wide Dallas? receiver. I don't know, but Houston's really good, too. They got, like... The ghost of Cole Beasley. Guys. Right? It's not. It's not the ghost. The ghost, the ghost of, of Cole Beasley. The ghost of Cole. The ghost. It's because he's so white. Switzer. I don't know. It's it's probably uh. Randall Cobb. <laughs> okay. Randall Cobb has. Well, 20, that's a pre- that's a big step down. Twenty five receptions for two hundred and seventy four yeah. yards this year. Uh, they also have stupid Tavon Austin, but their third receiver is really Jason Witten. Let's be honest. <laughs> that's not good it's, either. It's everyone's unfavorite <laughs> announcer. Thirty four receptions for three hundred twenty one yards, and he has. On his 34 sessions, 17 first downs. He's been playing pretty good. How many yards after catch on How the year? Four. Yards after catch the whole year? 116. Mm. That is like many times more than four. Mm. I'm, I'm just going to question that stat. I like that, you're, I like that you're standing on the corner for our for our offensive guys because they are playing really good. So here's just what a I have very to say good about receiving it. The fact is we're in the conversation. The Yes, I do agree with that. The, we're top five. And that's a hell of a place to be. The, it's really weird to be rooting for a team that has... Top five wide receivers, uh, a running back who's 
among the best in the league, although he has significant ball security issues, and I think we should talk about that. Oh, that's uh, another part of my have, bullet points. Uh, but but uh, but we have a very good running back. Um, we have the best quarterback in the league and an offensive line that, while not playing good, is playing competently. Did you guys know it has been three weeks since Jermaine Effetti has a penalty, guys? He has not had his name called for a penalty Stop. until the since He'll the hear you. Allow He'll me hear to you. change the number on our chalkboard. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. three weeks without an injury. Um, I I'm actually thought the offensive line in this game was uh, was really was surprisingly fine, competent, except for Iapati. Yeah, Iapati's not good. I, Iapati is past it, but we don't really have a lot of options right now. Uh, it, when uh, when Jones comes back, when everyone is healthy, I think Iapati's the back the backup. But I would tend to agree. So Fetty was competent though. Brown was good. Hunt, Joey Hunt, Joey Hunt had himself a game. Wait, he. I mean, maybe coming in cold off the bench last week was or the, that first week was tough for him because he gave him a lot of pressures that first week. That was part of it. He's also a limited player. He's like, small. There's things he can't do. It's it guys that are really strong. I think are going to give him trouble just because he's he's, un- he's small, under 300 pounds, and slightly shorter than me. I think like if I stood next to Joey Hunt, I wouldn't feel tiny, which I would not say about very many offensive linemen. I, think if I stood next to Joey Hunt, I wouldn't feel tiny, and that's something I really can't. He's say a about little. He's like a. He's like a. Like a troll. I love Joey Hunt. I mean he's, that in a nice he way. He played great, and I do think, you know, he's probably our backup for life at this point, right? Like, he's going to be on our <laughs> roster forever. When Posich is back, he'll probably take the job, but Joey Hunt will be our backup. Still a backup because no one's going to pay him a lot. Backup for life. he knows what to do. You know, he does the job. He's valuable in that way. Okay. So before we continue the comp, before we move into a run and pass, I would like to put out there, right now, the Seattle Seahawks are your 2013-ish New Orleans Saints. Hmm. We don't have no... Our defense... We can't cover anything. Everything's suspect on defense. But, ooh, this offense is exciting. Like, man, if we had Disley still... I mean, like, we we already talked about the line did decent. Receivers were good. Uh, Carson, two fumbles. But outside of that, 16 attempts for 105 yards... 86 yards after contact. He had that 159-yard run. This is against one of the better run defenses in the NFL. He had himself a game. Penny had four carries, 12 yards, 15 of them after contact. Russ had that beautiful 21-yard scramble when they completely disrespected him by turning their back. Metcalf on the end around for seven yards. Uh, They've been using Lockett on some of those plays. He's been picking up between five and 12 yards. So we've got some really nice results from kind of changing up the run game and using it in different ways. But what I loved about today, 20, maybe if you if you include the end around and if you think it was designed by Russ, which I think that's up for debate. I think it was a, I think it was an option to run. Uh, it, we had 22 runs to 43 passes because the pass game was doing work. So we ran just enough to force them to be honest about it and then we chucked the ball all over the yard and they couldn't do anything to stop it um yeah i mean the the passing was the game was amazing when they were when they couldn't get pressure russ went 21 for 27 four touchdowns like it, he was insane in this game like just but even under pressure eight for 16 for 172 and a touchdown that was like he was bad. that's still not that's still not really what you want on the defense side no they, they like they could not they could not stop our offense at all. 20-plus yards, 4 for 6 for 131 and 2 touchdowns? Gross. The only thing that stopped our offense mm-hmm. was, like, weird stuff. 
weird stuff happening. Fumbles. And they finally uh, realized too. Kicker. Throw a little more than you pass. Twenty twenty one rush attempts. Like they they got the message. I put the hands ball in the hands of your best player, and that's what they did. I think the two fumbles by Carson maybe encouraged them in that direction a little bit. Sure, but those came later. So there was already a decision. But, but, if you look from the first offensive drive, they were in the shotgun. They were chucking. Yeah, they were in the shotgun right away. First play of the game. Shotgun. And we were Her- using what we call in this podcast basically run plays. Short dump offs to Chris Carson. And very I important. Tra- I can't trash on Carson's game here. He had 5.38 yards after contact per attempt. Like, the guy ran the ball really well. 105 yards, although he did it 59 of them all in one play. But that was like his first really big chunk run of the whole year. Like, that yeah. was easily his longest run of well, the year. Well, and he had two catches, including a beautiful one-hander that was a really lovely play. Maybe wonder if it was actually him making that catch. Right? Seah- Seahawks game. Fan game. What was Chris Carson's longest run before this game? What, 26 yards? Oh, 25 yards. Yeah, That's I was about to say it was like 22, yeah. 25 yards, he had 25, 22, 21, 21. Those were his four previous longest runs prior like to the Like we all order. pretty much remembered his longest runs. I mean, yeah. I was off by a yard. Kevin had the next longest. I was like, yeah, I think the 22 was the one against Detroit in the playoff game. Yeah. Eight, eight, more, avo- eight more avoided tackles. He is eight, now... He dodged eight tackles in that game. That's another insane thing. He there is are running so many so well. plays where he just the first guy just is screwed every time, and that is the difference between like a solid versus a really good running back. He leads the league in elusive rating. He has forty six rush avoided uh, tackles on rushes, eleven on receiving. Um, among running backs, he has the most avoided tackles by rushes and is fourth in rece- uh, avoided tackles on a reception. Just and a, he doesn't make that many catches. An insane. Although, no, 24 is not a bad number this year. He He's not like a... He's not going to put up like the uh, Leonard Fournette's already got 40, so he's going to have like, what, 80 catches or something? It's not going to be like that, but... But uh, I'm not this Le'Veon Bell. Sorry, I can't. Oh, no, Leonard Fournette has 42. That's yeah. cr- that's crazy. Le'Veon, Leonard Fournette, the Queen of England himself. Wow. Um, okay. Love <laughs> <laughs> the Queen. That's a joke. That's a joke for only some people that, that are really into this podcast. Uh... Any uh, any other uh, uh, offensive thoughts? I mean, we could we could sit here and like talk we about, Russ, day, about Russ forever. Just you're gonna hear about it all week. I don't think you need to hear it from the us. evolution of the Russell Wilson Tyler Lockett dynamic is something that will not cease to make to bring great joy to my heart. Passes of traveling over twenty plus yards to the outside right bracket, three for three, one hundred two, two touchdowns, perfect NFL rating. Just that's like an insane person thing to do in an NFL game, just to be perfect on long passes like that. It's yep, just dumb. I think guys don't, guys don't do that. I think as we go forward in this season, you know, we've kind of gone back and forth about the offense being a Pete Carroll problem. And Schottenheimer, nah, I'll talk one of these days. Schottenheimer having his ups and downs. Schottenheimer can call the right plays. I think Pete is now on board with the rest of us. And I believe that Russ is basically driving this offense with the help of Schottenheimer, of course. I'm not going to take any credit away from him. But I do believe Pete is now, after this game, as evidence in the, you know what, we're passing team, Russ just lead us to a victory. Okay, you ready for an insane Russell Wilson stat that sure. I like dug up? So Russell Wilson throws 16.7% of his passes as are considered deep passes, targeted 20 or more yards downfield. That's the third most in the league behind Matt Stafford and Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now, because he's throwing so many deep and those are low-efficiency balls, you think, oh, man, he's probably got... He also leads the league in rating on deep passes, 138 NFL rating. The guys ahead of him, Ryan Fitzpatrick and Matt Stafford, 
Fitzpatrick's NFL rating on those deep passes, 50.6, and Stafford's is 86.3. So just to give you like a frame of reference between like a, a bad quarterback, a quarterback we all think is in the middle, and then the MVP GOAT himself, Russell Wilson, like those guys, he is just operating at a, an, another another stratosphere in another level up from most of these guys right now. He is establishing himself once again as a tier one quarterback for people that forgot. And... My hope at this point, so I, I think that Schottenheimer's play calling was really good in this last game. He noticed some marked inefficiencies and he beat them to death. Uh, Lockett had six steps on his guy every time he was in the slot. So we just beat up on them. Uh, DK, when he was able to get the ball, uh, he was able to make a play on his man every single time. So we just got the ball to him in a place where he could do that. Hollister, there linebackers could not cover him so he got a bunch of targets because he was going to be open even when he looked a little covered didn't matter he was open the plays were set up there were a couple of really nice goal line passes uh our third down efficiency wasn't great which was a little disappointing but we also didn't have very many third downs because we were getting first downs on first and second down all day we had a ton of first downs so uh yeah hats off to schottenheimer this was a, a solidly well-called game after two, let's face it, total stinkers. I mean, the clunker against the Ravens when Russ just couldn't get anything going, and then that absolute disappointment of a second half in the Falcons game. And in this game, he came out and was like, hey, this is, you know, let's let's dust off a good game plan and let's chuck it around the yard. All right. You ready? You guys ready for some vegetables? You ready to do the defense? Oh, this Here isn't vegetables. This is just like re-eating your regurgitating... Cauliflower. 52 snaps. Steamed of th- 52 anus. of 76 snaps. Same difference. Three linebackers. Against a team that? that has, I think, a, uh, a wide receiver core we could put in the mix with our with our best wide we receiver core. Mike Evans. Mike. Michael. Mike. Mike. This kid. Mike Evans. This career Mike best kid. Evans. Uh, and, and Chris Godwin. A wide receiver core that I think most people would say is operating at an extremely high level. We Michael Lynn Evans the third. We put him out there. Yeah, he does have a three on the back Weird. of his jersey. Yeah, you're and right. His middle name's Lynn. Um that had extra linebackers all the time. And I uh well, I here's my opinion on this. You ready? The team doesn't want to be doing this. They feel like their hand is forced because guys can't get this extra safeties that we want to put on the field for big nickel just cannot get healthy. We traded for one. He can't get healthy. Leno can't get healthy. Like these guys that we want to do for to do big nickel with real- are they just cannot get healthy. And it's it's I think it probably is driving Pete insane because he hears us constantly berating him going, and he's like, I don't want to do it either. But Jamar Taylor sucks, guys. What do you? <laughs> Jamar Taylor does suck, by the way. Jamar Taylor thirty three has officially listed himself as a liability on this team. Thirty three snaps, I would say, of uh, extremely poor play. Uh, he was targeted five times, gave up five receptions on those five plays, uh, gave up 34 yards after the catch, missed a tackle. Uh, just a, just <laughs> so really carrying that Kendricks torch well. Just not a good game. And I mean, they went after Trey and Shaq, and I would say this was probably each of their first worst games of the season. Shaq's worst I don't game think Shaq's season. game was it's that bad. Tough when really? you, it's tough, though, when you're in zone and the guys that are gonna, you're going to pass off to are always like linebackers. That's rough for for an outside corner in our system. It's also tough when Shaq was getting pushed off on all game and they yes. wouldn't call it. Mike Evans. Mike Evans is a very physically strong receiver and a big dude. 
and they, they let do. him play physical. And I think there's probably no one in the league that's better at 50-50 balls than Mike Evans, and he got, he he turned some of them into 75-25 balls with a little extracurriculars. Yeah, uh, and because it's tough. as a defensive back, you can't play like they won't call it. Like It's not like Shaq had a horrible game. I think it was average. It was his worst game of the season. It was the worst game of the season, but he's still having a really good year. It's not like he was bad. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna harp on Shaq as the problem in this game. No. Nathan, you really think that Pete's gonna play that big nickel when he I, gets a chance? Ab- absolutely. As soon as Quandre I don't Dix, know if faith in him. Quandre Dix is healthy. That he's gonna get some he's gonna he's gonna start rotating KJ and Michael. He did it a little bit in this game. The number of snaps that we gave uh Jamar Taylor's busted terrible butt tells me that we probably would be playing big nickel if we could i agree um i think and i think big nickel is how i think that's how pete sees the modern nfl defense that that's like his ideal and if quandre is healthy this week we will look a little different against san francisco which is nice because we need to throw a defensive wrinkle at them their coaching is too good if we don't if we throw the same defense at them they'll eat us alive especially their run game their run game they do this. They do this smart thing where they, it looks totally like a pass, and then all of a sudden, here's um, Raheem Mostert eight yards up the field already, and it will be really gross against our our guys dropping back. They run fast. the quick delay better than I, any yeah, team the in the NFL. Delay. Exactly. Yeah. That's yep. exactly right. And we what we need passes. to see is really sure tackling. On the bright side, we don't really have to spy Jimmy Garoppolo. No, we have to somewhat respect his running ability, but we don't have to spy him, which means that our linebackers should be able to play up on dudes and clean up some of that stuff. This was an extremely bad defensive line pressure game. Uh, only three pressures from our defensive linemen, and I can't even make excuses for them in this one because they really were were struggling. Uh, I thought it was like the biggest biggest struggle, and this is not a great offensive line we played against. It's like mm-hmm. a above average one. But I also would say that. It's, they were getting the ball, right of the ball very quickly because they could. It wasn't like as quick as you would think, though. Like he averaged the Jameis Winston only was I looked this up point zero eight seconds faster out of his hand than usual. I think it's just that there was lots of stuff available to him, and then the pass rush wasn't doing anything to fix it. And I, I would agree, it I was would, not a good game for the pass rush. Now, I'm in the I'm in the position now where I really think this pass rush is the kind of pass rush that if you have elite coverage skills, they'll get home. They'll they'll they they could create some sacks. They could generate some sacks, but the. It's not the kind of pass rush that can do it by itself. We don't have a Michael Bennett. We don't have. Uh, I think we expected Ziggy uh, Cliff Averill. We expected Ziggy Ansah to be that guy, that guy who could make pass rush kind of on his own, who could beat a guy one on one and get there. And Jadavian Clowney is incredibly disruptive, but he's never going to have a ten sack season. It's just not the way that he doesn't he plays close football. out that way. It's just not the way he plays football. I mean, yeah, he could line up on the outside and be Julius Peppers and like a worse Julius Peppers, but he decides no, I'm going to just bully everyone all over the field, and it works. But in a game like this, you, Jameis Winston's the kind of guy if you get to him, he's sh- he's shaken. It's bad, and, and it, Jimmy G is too, which is why it'd be nice if we could prove this. Right. So this is the week I think the the it's all on the pass rush, and they need to be better. And it, it whether it's Ziggy or whether it's Rasheem Green, or it's got to be someone. Someone needs to step up. Brandon Jackson played 31 snaps in this game, and I would say was functionally invisible. Like yep. I, none of his tapes stood out to me. And I and I looked back at the stat line, and I I was shocked that he played 31 snaps because I could remember only one play. That I remember. He made. See, I was about to say I remember seeing the back he of his the, jersey twice. He had the one run stop, and then I like looked and I looked at the stat sheet, and I was like, he played 31 snaps. Like, that's a lot of snaps for ju- well, doing some point, basically nothing. Pete is basically trying to get... He's trying to get 
a pass rush any way he can. And I think he's trying to get some sort of consistency out there, and it just it burned him. It, I mean, nothing worked in this game. Yeah, Quint, Quentin Jefferson, who's I think been surprisingly our most consistent pass rusher, was was inactive. Yep, and it and it and then so now here's a healthy dose of Brandon Jackson and a little bit of LJ Collier, who I think at this point we could say has been a complete non-factor in his rookie year. Uh, he played so like five snaps in this game, and I just think he isn't. He's not the player that we we all on our scouting said like this is a guy who at least can do a power rush move, rush move as a rookie, but it doesn't even seem like they're gonna willing to give him a chance to do that. Uh, if just, anything, and let Pete play with this lineup to see what he can get out of these guys. The answer is not much, but at least now he knows, especially with all the inactives. And it's really his hands hard. Are tied. It's really hard to get to get a bunch of uh, pass rush in the interior when your outside guys aren't really threatening because then they can just double up those those inside guys or they get double clowny and then they and then they can just kind of create that middle and there's no there's no threat to go outside at all with the way that the the players are consistently lining up there's no speed on the edge and none of those any of those guys we throw out there brandon ziggy except uh, for when we Rasheen. kendrick's off the side right kendrick's got two pressures in this game and like i would they what we really need is i know is this is gonna, we really need is jacob martin like we need a guy who just yeah. goes out there and can speed rush and force that tackle to be way outside or to to, to really. When we had Dwight Freeney sign for the tail end of that one season, right? Dwight Freeney, hmm. would, uh, Dwight Freeney would be great. Like that's the kind of guy we need. We should have traded for who's that really crappy speed rusher that's on the Falcons. Oh, uh, Vic Beasley. Yeah, like that's the kind of guy we need right now. Though it's just a Vic Beasley to go out there and just do do your one speed rush move and really disrupt the the flow of this offensive and line and force them to run into Jaron Reed right. or run into Jadavion Clowney or, or force them to just solo up Jaron Reed or Papuna Ford. You know, not like have one arm on one arm on each. You know, the center can yeah. put. It's just not good. It, we're not spread out enough. It's 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 tough. It's tough to watch right now. It's not. The defense it's part of why we're defending the run so well, but it's at the expense of again having basically no pass. Speaking rush. of runs, I mean, we had twenty-five run stops in this game. Like the run defense was mostly good, although you know Ronald Jones did get loose a couple times. But the run defense was mostly really good. Uh, I worry though. I worry because of the way that, like Ronald Jones in this game, okay, eighteen rushes, sixty-seven yards, three point seven yards per attempt. But he did have like four or five longer rushes, and I just. I can totally see San Francisco being the kind of team that would chain a bunch of those runs together. You know what I mean? Chains four of those ten yard runs together, and those are that's backbreaking for a defense, especially one that is as moderately incompetent as ours is playing right now. Well, they have Brita. I mean, that's going to go into the preview, but they have Brita. They have Mostert, who they use as a third, and it works for them. And they have Tevin Coleman. Do we want to move into the preview? I think we're ready. Eric. I feel like we give, should, us your, yeah. give us your preview, Eric. You had a little couple things you want to talk about for your preview. Hit us. Okay, so I just kind of hit something about San Francisco side, but I want to go into Seattle's game plan for the rest of the season. Looking at the wide receiver targets this week, Nathan, you said we had, what, I'm sorry, 20, 32 targets and 24 were to three guys, 26, what was it? It's, we had 29 catches, and I think 20, That's right. 23 of them were to Okay. Two. Wait, wait, let me look. Receive. We had 29 catches. And, 20, and, and 23 of them were to three yeah. guys. Yep. Russ mostly, tar- my, my, my notes are Russ mostly targeted three players, tight end being one of the players. Okay, so you can split those catches between Luke Wilson and Hollister and call it a position, okay? Yeah, and call that's one six player. catches between it. Now, there were six catches on eight and for several first downs. But basically, brought we <clears throat> I need to stop saying basically in this podcast. We brought Josh Gordon in to be that third receiver 
to go along with our tight end, to be someone that Russ can trust. Because with David Moore, Malik Turner, Jaron Brown, as much as he's great and Russ's best friend, just like you know uh, Jimmy Graham was or at sometimes James Graham, Josh Gordon was brought in to be a trusted hand up the middle and a trusted receiver, a guy who can go out and make some Tyler Lockett-like plays. Another thing, too, is, is like Russ basically begged. He said, like, sign Antonio Brown or or uh, or Josh Gordon. Give me one of these guys. Yes. This makes us into, like, a... He, Russ really believes, I think, that this makes us into a Super Bowl team. Yeah, and this is this and is a big move wrong. for this team because if it's Josh Gordon... Super Bowl offense. I agree with that. If yep. Josh Gordon does not pan out for us, it's fine because we have bodies out there but this is where russ can really like take this to the next level which that sentence is scary dude clowntonio 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 brown baby second point (laughs) (laughs) i have a big chest i have a feeling and i think this room is going to believe uh that i'm correct on this rashad penny probably not a pete carroll guy look at look at the amount of get out of jail get out of fumble jail free cards that chris carson has after this game, a game you're not relying on Chris Carson much, two big fumbles, two big plays, and the one where the guy caught him from behind, I was like, you better tuck that ball. Yeah. It's unfortunate. You knew it was coming out. Like, and mm-hmm. I'll say this, we have what? Switch And he was in the act of switching hands, too, but like it's like, dude, you should have switched that way earlier. Yeah, we have eight, yep. seven games left, six games left, five, three, how many we have? How many more fumbles is Chris Carson going to have? And this is a valid question. Three more? That's way too many. It's weird, too, because Rashad Penny, by, like, any stat metric I look at, has been good in his NFL career. Yes. Yep. Five yards per attempt, averaging almost three yards per attempt after contact. He's avoided 15 tackles in his career. Like, he's been good. He just doesn't really get very many opportunities. And I I understand Chris Carson is running very well. So it's not like I don't... But But is Rashad Penny in this game really going to damage our offense? And I'm saying this last game. That's what I'm thinking. And with Chris Carson not going to fumble jail. Especially as a really good, he's a plus pass catcher. Like, you need to send a message to Chris about ball security at some point, and it's not getting through. But that's what I'm saying. Rashad Penny's not seeing the field. And I think this goes beyond the old George Carl does not trust rookies thing that the Sonics used to have because <laughs> Pete Carroll has has proven that he trusts young players. He trusts rookies. He trusts DK. DK's out there yes, every play. Exactly. Yep. So I, I think there's something uh where maybe he's not a practice guy. Or and, Carson is. Yeah, there's something there's something there about where... Rashad Penny is not a Pete Carroll guy. Those are my those are my bullet points that I really want to bring up That's because an interesting point. it's they're two big factors that are almost in two different directions because okay. I love Chris Carson, but he's going to have three more fumbles this year at the least. I guarantee it. All right. You guys ready for my take on this? Yeah. Pete is a little bit of a scoundrel. Would you guys agree with that? A little bit. He likes to hide a little bit of information. Yeah. He and likes, here's my preview. He likes to week. be the smartest guy on the field or think he is. You ready? We didn't activate Ed Dixon last week. Why not? Oh, that's because that this week the two tight end looks with Hollister and Dixon. Here they come. Like it is, we're activated. And Hollister, we, above average run blocker. Quandre, not to be overlooked. Quandre Diggs didn't get to see the field last week. Oh, but he was full participant in practice on Monday. He was ready that soon. Uh, I'm I'm gonna call minor uh-huh. shenanigans here. Uh, huh, huh, huh. <laughs> but but I just I think Pete Carroll he saved a few wrinkles. Because this is a very important game for the Seahawks. If we win this game, we can put ourselves in the driver's seat for for uh, home field advantage. Seat. 
number one seed, home number one seed, yeah, it's throughout possible. the playoffs. Yeah, this is a, this is our chance to put ourselves in the driver's seat. And the question becomes: Do you want to be last year's Kansas City Chiefs and you want to have home field and have the best chance to win, and you don't have stupid Andy Reid as your coach, or do you? <laughs> I mean, I love Andy Reid, but he is. Daylight savings time is probably the hardest day of the year for Andy Reid. Like it's got to be tough. He's got that. But Wakes up, has I breakfast, guess, goes back to bed. Try he has to get that Monday. whole extra hour to work with, though. Maybe that helps. Okay, but the you can manage. But he the, can never remember he, which one it is, and he so thinks he spends the hour figuring out where to move the clock. Uh, so that, but uh, realist, <laughs> I told you. Or do you want to be the Chargers last year, who are basically, I think we most people would agree, playing about as good as the Kansas City Chiefs heading into the playoffs, but they had to go on the road, and they had to, you know what I mean? It, their whole playoff life became very difficult. Our playoff life will be very difficult. And I know we're playing really good away from home, and so people might be like, well, it doesn't matter if you play home right. It matters. It 100% matters. Especially traveling for this is, team. Traveling is hard, okay? Traveling east is hard. If we play our first playoff game in Dallas, which is what we are scheduled to do right now, that is a tough trip for us. We know because we just did it last year. And Dallas sure as hell doesn't want to play here. And Dallas, yeah, and if you reverse those roles, Dallas would never want to come to Seattle because that's hard. That's a difficult trip for them. And those are two teams I think are that are playing very similarly right now. High-powered offenses playing very well that are kind of being dragged down by defenses that are inexplicably playing bad. That are hurt and not playing well. And inexplicable coaching choices like we have. Our coach makes some weird decisions, and Jason Garrett definitely makes some weird decisions. So, um, though. I don't want to go to Dallas. I want to play at home, and this game is our chance to do that. All right, Kevin, what do you got? What kind of nuggets do you got us for the San Francisco game? Okay, I've got an interesting thing where I think coach and scheme is a big deal here because we're looking at an offense for the 49ers that is lots and lots and lots and lots of average plus George Kittle. If you look at their if you look at their grades, if you look at their Emmanuel, stats, Emmanuel Sanders is really good. It change it changes the dynamic of their offense. Yeah, that is that does give them a true number one receiver. It gives them a, a number one receiver. I think and Emmanuel Sanders is a number in, one wide receiver. Yeah. Slot in really nicely, and that's going to be an interesting thing as far as coverage schemes go and how that gets handled. If he, if I'm if I'm Shanahan, I'm trying to get him on he's, Trey Flowers as much as I can because I have that old Denver tape. He's already played 119 snaps this year and has been uh, uniformly excellent for those snaps. Um, so far in his, in his two games as a San Francisco 49er, he has 11 catches, two touchdowns, nine first downs. Like that, he's just came, come in, fit right in, and really gave them gave them a dynamic that they did not have before when they had to just roll out Marquise Goodwin, Debo Samuel, and Kendrick Bourne. Like Kevin said, it was a very average, very average, boring offense. So what makes it interesting in this, though, is it comes back down to Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo is coming off of his best game of the season, arguably his best game of his career. And this is a player who, when not pressured, is picking teams apart, completing 75% of his passes, 12 touchdowns, when unpressured. But under pressure, he completes a very pedestrian, a very below average, 55% of his passes. And they're he's short, under too. eight yards per attempt. Yeah, he's not throwing touchdowns. He's throwing more picks. This is a guy who goes from uh, pro bowler to he goes from pro bowler to uh, friggin' Mitch Trubisky uh, when he gets pressured. So it's going to be absolutely key that we are moving him off of his spot, that we are chasing him around the field, that we are not letting him be comfortable. So that is point number one if we're going to be able to win this game. The other thing is the coverage grades are pretty good. The pass rushing grades are pretty good. 
But this San Francisco team has two things they're not great at. Number one, they allow a lot of yards after the catch. And number two, they are not good against the run. So it's two things we excel at. Going to be interesting to see how can we scheme like the little routes that we are running against Tampa Bay, where we'd run a cluster of receivers and have the outside receiver run a drag, and it would be Lockett or it'd be DK. And next thing you know, he's got like a step and a half on a guy, shakes one tackle, and he's twenty yards upfield. These are the types of plays that can be made and must be made if Seattle's going to be able to win. But this San Francisco team that I have made fun of all year and called a paper tiger all year, I'm ready to swallow my pride on and say they are a legitimately solid football team well that has eaten up some bad teams, but they are good enough. They are a playoff caliber team. Yeah, they also welcome back three really important starters for them, Joe Staley, Mike McGlinchey, and the only fullback in the NFL that I would actually want on my team, Kyle Juszczyk. And mostly because not only is he really good at running, he's also really, really good at catching. Yep. And he's a, a legitimate weapon to catch out of the backfield. It reminds me of the old Chris Cooley H-back kind of style player where mm-hmm. he's not he's a fullback and he can block good. Don't get me wrong. He can block good. So could Chris Cooley. But he, he catches really good. And I think that... This is the way that the modern fullback should be used. If you want to look at how a team should actually use a fullback, watch San Francisco this week. This is how fullback should be used because he's a threat in the run game to block, to run, and he's a threat in the pass game to catch a, a nice pass. It's like and a tight end in the backfield. Yep, and Schottenheimer scheme-wise is kind of like a poor man Shanahan. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, let's go to let's go to picks. All right. I got. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick. Nah, man. I this game's gonna be close. I'm gonna go 49ers 31, Seahawks 30. There's gonna be points. Um, you know, maybe like a key sack kills one of our drives, and that's the end of the game. Uh, Jason Myers missed the last second field goal in break, and um, you know goes full Walsh on us. Eric, thirty-four thirty, Niners. Kevin, I think it's been a little bit less high scoring than you guys are, but I think it's gonna be one of those where there's a lot of yards, but a lot of it's on the ground. Clock's gonna be running a lot, so I'm gonna go with twenty-seven twenty-three. 49ers. All right, 90, uh, 96 uh, iTunes reviews. Uh, let's get to the money zone. Uh, thanks to everyone who's given us a review on iTunes. Uh, but if you want to support the Seahawks Nest podcast, my favorite way to do so is head to patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest. And for as little as $1.24 a month, you can gain access to our picks podcast. That's but, right, Teach. But this <laughs> week <laughs> only, okay, November 8th is my birthday, Nathan's birthday, and I worked... Uh, I would say I worked exceptionally hard on this week's uh, Picks Podcast. And so my gift to you, the listener, this Friday, November the 8th, if you go to patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest, you can hear the 8-Minute Picks Podcast. Um, I think you will enjoy yourself. If you don't, well, it's not my fault. All right. It's free, so there's no refund. <laughs> yeah, it's free, it's free free 30. But go check it out if you liked it, if you thought that was fun. Uh, you know, join up. And also get in the group chat where all the all the memes are happening, and they're not they're not um, as bad of memes as the ones on Reddit. Got them. Uh, thank you, James, Tom, Lucas, Carrie, Richard, Bob, Kieran, Brett, Mike, David, Flocktimus, Michelle, Brian, Frank, Nick, and all of the Patreons. You guys are helping us out. Uh, we love you so much. Then um, money our uh, movie club this week comedies. Yeah, we're continuing our uh, series. our series of doing a podcast ranker 
and making our top five. Right. We're making a top five for a bunch of different categories, and then I think we're going to make a top ten of the de- and this is of the decade. So our decade runs 2010 to 2019, our favorite comedies. This is tough. Okay, let's talk about this first. What, what, what is a comedy? <laughs> because I had a lot. What is comedy? I had a struggle with this. Like, is... Um, is Deadpool in this? Deadpool and Deadpool 2, are they in this category? Is Logan yes. Lucky a comedy? Is Logan Lucky in this category? I'd say yes. What about Scott Pilgrim? Yes. Um, what about What We Do in the Shadows? Yes. What about... Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Of course. What about La La Land? But that one best comedy at the Golden Globes. No, that movie's not funny. But that doesn't matter. That was a joke. Uh, Same with Birdman. (laughs) Just kidding, guys. I hate that Birdman's a comedy. All of Wes Anderson's movies aren't funny, but they still count. Got him. Hot take, Wes Anderson. uh, Most overrated American director. Okay. Um, Bold claim. Yeah, because there's a lot of really overrated ones. A lot of really overrated (laughs) ones. Uh, Okay, here we go. Let's go with movies. Let's get into the movies we actually like. Uh, Eric, do you want to go first like usual? Yeah, sure. I'm I'm down with that. Um, In no particular order, and I feel bad because I got two similar movies in this. Uh, Number one, uh, This is the End. Funny movie. Uh, Very, the culmination of the, uh, whatever those group of guys is called. Great Channing Tatum cameo at the end. Yes. (laughs) The funniest one. Fucking G.I. Joe loves me. Um, I'm going to say the, the other similar movie, and I just couldn't pick one, The Interview. The I interview. feel like this, this room does not love that movie as much as I do. I don't know, man. I'm close. It was on it was on Netflix for like a year and a half, and then it disappeared, and it came back for half a year, and I'm sad it's gone. Everything Randall Park does in that movie is <sighs> incredible. And it's the stupidity of the main character and James Franco of, uh, oh, what's his name, uh, uh, Dave Skylark, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the beginning gonna, of that movie is really funny. You're gonna, you're gonna, uh, oh, he's kiss. Eminem. oh yeah, you're gonna kiss, uh, Kim Jong's ass? No, but I might give him a little something special with my hand if you catch my drift. Um, <laughs> the other one I have is said movie Scott Pilgrim. Nice. I love Scott Pilgrim. Really good movie. Uh, I kind of want to give that a five out of five, even though it's probably not, but hell, I don't know, maybe it is. It's a great movie. The Other Guys, coming in at number four, a very good movie, very popular in this room, Will Ferrell and uh, your favorite Wahlberg. Get an easy piece. <laughs> Mark Wahlberg. Hey, I'm, in that, I'm in that fucking movie. Hey, I'm in the movie. You know, you know the hey. thing about that movie is I play I play kind of a dork. You know, I'm not cool in that movie. But you all know. You all know. I'm learned, actually cool. I learned art history to make fun of the queers of the street. <laughs> That's the, the running gag about him like being very cultured in order to make fun of cultured people is a very good gag. The only thing I'll say about the other guys is the the whole Derek Jeter angle did not need to be in there. It was just <laughs> it was fine, but it didn't need it. And uh, the final movie is a movie no one in this room saw. It's called Heavy Trip. This is a foreign film that I told Kevin. Kevin, you really got to see this movie because I think Kevin enjoyed it. Kevin loves foreign films too. Kevin's our foreign film. It is a. It is. uh, It's a Swedish movie, I believe. It's about a group of twenty-something black metal guys. These guys trying to start a black metal band, and they're trying to get noticed. They're trying to play a festival. I recommend this movie to everyone. I loved this movie, and it is definitely on my list. Uh, this is just this part of the podcast is me doing a commercial. Amazon Prime, watch Heavy Trip. You will not be disappointed. It is so fucking good. All right, I'm gonna go here. My number one comedy of the decade, the movie I'm gonna go to bat for, is Pop Star. Never stop, never stopping. Nice. This movie makes me laugh harder than. Any movie, every joke in this movie is good. 
There's no bad jokes in this movie. The songs are bullets. They're so funny. Um, Andy Samberg has no dick. That's all I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, just, the Tyler, the creator ripoff character the, the, <laughs> the, that they have is so funny. Uh, starting, wasn't Humble the first yeah, opening scene? Yeah, that's like scene? the opener. That's so good. Yeah. Like, that's such a good it, tone setter. It sets you into the movie. Um, I love that movie. Uh, other, other movies I thought about. Um, I thought about Deadpool a little bit, but I think Deadpool, the more I think about it, the more times I've seen it, the more I think it's like a good but not great movie. Diminishing Returns on rewatches, too, yeah, which is always hazardous. Um, like, it, it's good, but... I, it, and I think the second one's mostly is more guilty of this. Hanging out in a scene much longer than they need to. I'm, uh, I'm into Scott Pilgrim. I'm with Eric on that 100%. Uh, the Nice Guys... It's funny. It's well directed. I love Shane Black. I just like Shane Black. I think the way he directs like an action buddy comedy. Wait, is, is this so good. Uh, is this Russell Crowe and Russell Crowe and, and uh, Baby Goose? Okay. Yes, I like this movie. is is pretty funny. Um, it's a uh, wait. It's just is right. this movie set on Christmas? Mm. Not a Shane Black movie then. It's the rare, the rare Shane Black movie. Not that doesn't cross Christmas. Imposter. Um, other movies. Uh, the Big Sick. I think is like. It's criminal if you don't consider this movie. Very heartfelt, very funny movie. Really got screwed um, on awards too. This movie should have gotten some love. It's adorable um, in a in a way that I think. Uh, I'm not trying to say that to be demeaning. Like it's like really really good. It hits um, the dramedy notes very well. The the nine the inappropriate nine eleven jokes are are just so uh, <laughs> yeah. Like when uh, Ray the, my, my favorite part of this movie. If you haven't seen this movie, Ray Romano is talking to to. to and it's really about like they're navigating something really awkward, and he's learning about this guy who's Pakistani, uh, and and then he he asks him, he says like, "Hey, well, how do you think about nine eleven?" He goes, and without missing a beat, he did Kamel responds, "Oh man, we lost like seven of our best dudes." <laughs> it's just that that joke is awesome, and that movie that movie is funny. Like that's that's such a good joke, and that movie's funny. Uh, Twenty one Jump Street. Uh, 22 Jump Street too, but 21 Jump Street and 22 Jump Street are awesome. That kind of brought Christopher Lord and Phil Miller into our lives, and they are hilarious and great. Um, the World's End, and the yeah. the underrated ending to the Cornetto trilogy, which I think is is excellent and funny. Um, Easy A, Easy A stars. Forgot about that movie. Uh, that's a, it came out in 2010. Movie. It's it's just an underrated, really good high this school is movie. This is as good. This is as good as Mean Girls. Don't at me. Yeah, it's. I think it's better, and um, it does not get anywhere near the recognition. It's not as clear as a comedy movie, I guess. Probably uh, why movies that I think are good, but then are probably not going to make it into the top five. Uh, Man from Uncle is a really good buddy action movie. Fifty uh, Fifty is a is a really good like serious comedy, and I know everyone hates Amy Schumer, but Trainwreck's really funny, and every scene with LeBron James in it in that movie makes me laugh. So and. And Amy Schumer and her interactions with uh, with Brie Larson, who's her sister, those scenes are really funny, too. Uh, and that movie has, like, a lot of heart. And I love Bill Hader. And I just don't care. I know everyone hates Amy Schumer, but that is, like, the movie that she's in that's My actually My issue's good. not Amy Schumer. My issue is that I hate gross-out comedies. Okay. And then I left one out on purpose to see if anyone would notice. Do you guys remember? But the movie Spy is the best Melissa McCarthy movie and the it's better than Bridesmaids. It's the best Paul Feig movie. It's this Paul Feig at his Paul Feig Feigiest, and um, Jason Statham is so funny in this movie. 
Uh, yes. Melissa McCarthy is so funny. And the running gag where Allison Janney keeps giving Melissa McCarthy <laughs> these like horrible cover stories. And Melissa McCarthy's like, what? Really? I got to be like the sad cat lady? Like, it's just so funny. Oh, man. I, I freaking love this movie. Uh, there's so many good. There's so much good things happening. This. Rose Byrne is awesome in this movie, too. Uh, I don't know, just a really solid movie. I highly recommend it to everyone. That movie actually should be in the top you've five. Talked, you've talked about that movie so much over the past however many years, six years. All right, so Nathan gave us a, let's see. I gave you guys like ten one, movies. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, a top eight, plus like seven honorable mentions. So now I don't feel bad about what I'm about to do. Yeah. So uh, I had to tackle this interestingly because at first I was like, good comedies, man, when's the last time there's a good pure comedy? And then I started looking up, I was like, Man, this has been a great decade for comedies. Yeah, it's a really good decade for comedies. So I had to split up. I'm like, okay, so there's uh, Taika Waititi movies, Hunt for the Wilder People, oh, I forgot or Hunt what for we do people. in the Shadow People. So good. The Hunt Shadows. for the Wilder People is awesome. That's Hunt for be the Wilder People five. is my number one. That's got to be in top five. I agree. That uh, movie's awesome. We've got to have an Edgar Wright movie, Scott Pilgrim or The World's End. Man, those are both really good. I'd probably favor Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, rom-coms. Uh, the Big Sick and Crazy Rich Asians are the top of rom-com for me in the last decade. And if I had to pick between Silver Linings two, Playbook's a really good movie, too. Yeah, but I think that the other I just two wanted, are I just wanted better. to throw it out there, too. That yep. I think there's even more. Um, I'm going to go with probably The Big Sick out of those two. Uh, Coming-of-age movies. There's Easy A. There's Booksmart, which came out this year, which is massively underrated. Really good performance. If you liked Superbad... This is super bad with female leads, and it's a clever, very funny movie. Um, there's more. There's more good coming of age movies. Eighth grade, Edge of Seventeen. Those are both yeah. really solid movies too. Eighth grade. I've never as an eighth grade eighth teacher. Grade is real awkward. It's like the most. It's the eighth gradiest. <laughs> I cannot tell you that that like how much this movie really captures like how awkward middle schoolers are. Yep. Like, and just how how painfully it bone makes your bones hurt. That's so awkward. yeah. Uh, I could not make it through that movie. That was that was a cringy movie. Like it's, it's and hard. Just like in that social awkwardness sense of it. Um, action comedies, The Other Guys, Spy. Those were both on my list. Twenty One Jump Street was on my list. Logan Lucky. And if I had to say which one of those as a comedy was the funniest to me, Twenty One Jump Street is relentless. It it's is so wall funny. to wall jokes, and that was hard because I think I like Logan Lucky a little bit more as a movie, but Twenty One Jump Street as a comedy, pure comedy, is a really funny movie. The Oddball comedies, Grand Budapest Hotel, the only good Wes Anderson movie that's not animated. Um, I, mean, I like I like the the first one, uh, Royal Tenenbaums, the or the early one. Well, Rock, I figure like yeah. that may have been the sure. peak. Um, the Art of Self Defense, which came out this year and is a comedy about toxic masculinity that's really funny and who's clever. the star of that kevin i know uh, that movie that is the guy from social network okay yeah uh jason jesse eisenberg yeah thank you um and that was a really fun movie the favorite which came out last year which i think was the best yorgo philanthemos movie which is the guy who did the lobster if you know that the lobster everyone listed as a comedy it's not funny it's not but it's <laughs> awkward it is awkward and then other ones i couldn't categorize we have pop star easy a uh, Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, which is in my top five. Surprised you talked about weird movies and didn't say Swiss Army Man. Did you see Swiss Army Man? Uh, no, it's, a, it's a, shamefully still on my it's, watch it's list. A, it's I really want to see it. It's a weird one, and I think you would totally... Knowing I your think taste I would enjoy it. You'll totally dig it. And, so, and then the one that hasn't been mentioned, and it's it's a comedy, but it's the darkest dark comedy ever, Four Lions. Yeah, Four Lions. is an dark. amazingly dark comedy. Um, but if I had to make a top five out of it, I'd say Hunt for the Wilder People, Scott Pilgrim, 21 Jump Street, Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, and The Farewell are my top five comedies of the decade. 
Right. Not crazy rich Asians, huh? Uh, no, you didn't not just jump. the big sick either. I'm surprised you didn't just jump Parasite in it. Although I didn't think Parasite was quite. I didn't think funny Parasite enough. was a pure comedy. Yeah. I would probably list it more as Bong a Joon thriller Ho- or a drama. Bong Joon Ho movies are like their own genre because he does he this thing that, so that well. no other director does, where he he yeah he will switch genres like on a dime, and it, it, even within a scene, uh, you'll feel this emotion. And the scene will be both funny and tense, and he no one else can really do it. And it's not even that the comedy only happens in the tension break. The comedy will happen throughout the scene because it'll be a, an and exercise in being ridiculous while funny. He's been doing this since the host too. The host was like that. Like you'd be like, dude, memories is, of murder. This was is like making that. me laugh really hard, but also somehow is making me so uncomfortable because they're about to get murdered by this monster. Memories <sighs> of murder is uh is it's like Zodiac. It's profiling an actual like serial killer case. And there are genuinely hilarious interactions in that hmm. movie where it doesn't seem appropriate, and that's why I actually like okay. it. So I think if we go with the mo- movies that we all had really high ranked, Scott Pilgrim's probably Scott first. Pilgrim. So yep, we probably somewhere. put Scott Pilgrim first. We Hunt all for the wilder people. We'll put Hunt for the wilder people. I think yes. If I'm pop, in with pop star being in the top five as well. I think, I think so. So then that's there's three. A, there were like that. three movies I didn't list, and you guys hit two of them. We didn't go into what, uh, what we do in Shadows, but I thought that was really good, too. The first 45 minutes of that movie is, like, the best 45 minutes of any of these movies. I, I think really la- enjoy it. I struggled the with the other guys, like... but I, I know how much we all enjoy it, and I've watched it so much more because of this podcast that I had to put it in my top five. So the thing with so what we, we do in the Shadows right? is Hunt for the Wilder People is just more enjoyable to me. It's got more heart. And also, I think it hits on full cylinders from A to Z. Whereas, uh, like Nathan said, there's a tale of two halves things with what we do in the shadows where there's moments where you get a little bit bored in it. And uh, Hunt for the Wilder People, I think you can't understate this. Anyone can watch that movie. It's yeah. not rated G, but it's it's awesome. Yeah, it's so, definitely not rated G. Um, so we've got two spots left. For like, for like 14 movies. I'm going to go to bat for... Big Sick. I think we should put Big Sick in as like a rom-com. Because we do need a rom-com in as there. Like do you like that movie? Rom-com rep? Sadly, I have not seen that movie. It's on Amazon That's Prime. I know. Really your favorite streaming cancer, cancer movies are difficult for, for me. Yeah, I agree. I understand why. It's it's funny about cancer. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious cancer. And everyone everyone lives. Spoiler. 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 Now Spoiler except for you know that because Kamel Johnny's wife is still alive. <laughs> <laughs> you know Emily Emily Gordon's dead. I mean, I would be happy with the big sick in there if I think we yeah, that's have like, to round it out with 21 Jump Street for the action. I, what about Spy? You're I want to go for Spy. I think I'd go on Spy over I go 20 21 years. over Spy. Eric, break the tie. Spy over Spy or which movie do you like better? Spy, spy is look, never streamed, I, so I've never seen it. What? Yeah. All right. How about this? Eric decides next Friday, and we have a five A five B, which because I think those, those are both yep, worthy both worthy successors okay. of that fifth spot. And the fourth spot is our rom com spot with the big sick, and then Kevin recommends the for, the farewell for that spot. Um, but you haven't seen the farewell, and I, don't, I haven't seen it either. It's too new. So the farewell is really good. Sick and Spy kills yeah, it. I'm, I'm excited to see it. Is it between Big Sick and Spy? No, no it's, it's Twenty One Jump Street versus Jump Spy Street. for okay. the action comedy. Spot. And that those movies both bang. Those yeah. movies slap. That's that part in Twenty One Jump Street. Spy is where also they're fighting and he's on the rope. And he's, <laughs> yes, <laughs> Peter Pan. That that part's so funny too. Well, and then like <sighs> uh, God, the fight scenes in Spy because um, you know, it has Melissa that. McCarthy, so you're like, this shouldn't work. Oh, it and works. And they make it completely work. I love when she takes on the bodyguard persona. Yeah. 
I think Twenty One Jump Street is part gonna... where because there's a part where she sheds her backstory and picks her own, and it is bullets. Yeah, I think Twenty One Jump Street's probably gonna win this, but I'm okay with just being on this corner. This is the corner I want to live on. Yeah, I feel like this is a strong set of comedies. Yeah, you Scott Pilgrim, Hunt for the Wilder People, Pop Star, The Big Sick, Twenty One Jump Street, and Spy. Watch that set of movie, and the best part is like Hunt for the Wilder People. You could like like. Eric said, that's an anyone movie. Like, a lot of these are movies that you could watch with your significant other and enjoy very well. Uh, they're not, like, gross-out comedies or anything. Uh, some of them are pretty slapsticky and dumb, but all in a very f- genuinely funny way. Yeah. All right. So, for Eric Ronnebeck, for Kevin Garber, we will see you guys next week. Go Hawks. <laughs> Good times, bro. No, I ain't got nothing but a bag of green.